Bridge Bank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. Bridge Bank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridge Bank, be bold, venture wisely. Hi there, I'm Randad Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. What does it mean that the technology we've come to depend on can steal our data, spy on our kids, send us down rabbit holes of misinformation? To Washington Post tech columnist Jeffrey Fowler, it means technology is failing us, and it's about time we establish our rights and demand a better internet. He joins us to talk about his new series, We the Users. Then... Champions, baby! The Golden State Warriors won their fourth NBA championship in eight years last night, beating the Celtics in Boston. We get your reactions to the Dubs victory. Join us. Welcome to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Do you ever read through the privacy policies for apps on your phone before clicking, I agree? Washington Post consumer tech columnist Jeffrey Fowler says ridiculously long or confusing privacy policies are just one of many things that are not working for us as tech consumers. And he's got some ideas about how to fix what's wrong. They're part of his new series for The Post called We the Users. And Jeffrey Fowler joins me now. Thanks so much for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me. Let's uh, let's get nerdy. Yeah. Didn't you actually add up how long the privacy policies were for the apps on your phone? Uh, as part of my job as a tech columnist, I do lots of ridiculous things that, <laughs> that other people wouldn't wouldn't do just to make a point. And one of them was I tried to read all of the privacy policies for the apps on my phone. It took a really long time. Uh, basically, what I did is I went to my phone and I copied, found each app, found the privacy policy, copied it out, put it in a Google Doc, and then tallied them all up. So I broke Google Docs because there were so many of them. Oh my Turns out there's a word word, word limit for Google Docs. <laughs> In the end, there were a million words to the privacy policies on my phone, which is twice the length of War and Peace. <laughs> and the point of this is that you know, the problem here is that we don't have the time. No normal human is ever going to read that much stuff but the whole basis of the way our privacy is supposed to be protected in the United States is this notion that we're consenting and we've read this stuff. And it's mm. just such a farce. And to me, it's just such a great example of how technology is not working for us. In fact, in many ways, it's using us. Yeah. What are we typically doing that we might not be aware of when we click agree without reading the oh my privacy gosh. policy? So much crazy stuff. So we've actually started this new thing at The Post where I call it, you agreed to what? 
And that's literally the headline I put on these stories. Um, And so, you know, part of my job, I read some of these and we're giving away all kinds of things that we might have no idea about. The one that I wrote about earlier this week that people are all up in arms about is when people go to the doctor's office now, oftentimes they're handed a tablet or asked to check in at home even before they, they go. And if you're filling out all these forms for the doctor, you know, it's like your past health information, your drugs you're on. Uh, you name it, some of them now are throwing in an extra consent form and you just click agree on it. But if you actually read this consent form, you're giving a company you have never heard of the right to use your private health data to market to you. And it's just, I know there's supposed to be a law about this in America, right? We do have yes, a health privacy law, but it's got it's got all you know holes in it that are large enough to you know drive a truck through. Um, so you know, it's just one more example of how, you know, the systems are not set up um, to protect us by default. And that's why I decided I really, it was time, you know, I've been writing about technology for more than 20 years. I thought it was time to stop just like pointing a finger at the stuff that's like, wow, that looks suspicious. It's time to start making demands and talking about what are some of the solutions. Sometimes, you know, those are solutions that are going to come from from the government, from maybe passing a law, but others, these are product design problems. These are product issues that uh, all sorts of different kinds of companies need to fix. Yeah. So so let's talk about what you propose in a couple of areas. First of all, I just have a quick follow-up about yeah. the doctor's offices where they're contracting, I guess, with companies that will mm-hmm. collect your personal health information. Are the offices aware that they're doing this? Do they get paid to do this or like a discount for doing this? Uh, all the questions that I wondered. So uh, I did speak to that company that um, that, uh, that that's doing this. It's called Freesia. That's Freesia with a P and an H at the beginning. So if you see that name when you're checking in at the doctor's office on anything, alarm bells should go off. Basically, they're making software that they sell to the doctor's office to you know automate the, the check-in process, which is a good thing. But they have this side business in showing people advertisements. They do not share the revenue from that uh, ad business with the doctor's office. I think a lot of doctors are sort of clueless about what's happening, um, probably. I I did, you know, reach out to a number of of clinics and hospitals that use this software, and um, none of them would respond to me. Uh, the company says it's used by about two thousand clinics and hospitals across the U.S. and was used for check-ins a million times last year. So that's a lot of a lot of people's data that's out there. But mm. it's it's an example of how. So we do have this law that uh, it's supposed to protect our health privacy called HIPAA, um, but it was written in the '90s, and back in like 1996, your health data was on like a physical piece of paper or a bunch of a stack of papers you remember those little papers in the and that manila envelope and to pull it up someone would have to go down to a basement somewhere and you know <laughs> dig it out and it would just take forever and so nobody was thinking about sort of the 2022 version of this when the data is available instantly and could have all of these secondary uses right and the, so the law was written so that as long as they get you to click that agree button they can do whatever they want to with your data and that's uh, that leads to all kinds of questionable new new business practices yeah well let me ask our listeners to share where technology is not working for them or if they are feeling targeted in this way, right, where they they click agree to something and they don't really understand or recognize what they're agreeing to. And 
Jeffrey Fowler is talking about this series, We the Users, where it's time for users to demand more from the products and companies, technology companies that put them out. What are your demands? You can email them to forum at kqbd.org. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQBD Forum. You can call us 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. What do you propose we do about the privacy policy issue, uh, Jeff? Yeah, so there's a couple of fronts here. So um, from from the get-go, we need a new standard for what data um, is and isn't allowed to be collected in the U.S. So um, believe it or not, it is 2022, and America still does not have a privacy law. We have very narrow niche ones that are supposed to cover things like health or children or or financial information, but we don't really have uh, a, a wide one that would give us rights as a consumer. So that would be a great place to start. Um, and there's some simple premises that should sort of be baked into that you shouldn't take any more data than you actually require to do the thing that the consumer or citizen asks you to do. I think that's what most of us would assume now, but that is not what's happening right now. What's happening right now is companies are allowed to take whatever they can, and so it's just a, a giant kind of data grab that's going on throughout our lives in all sorts of places. So we need to sort of flip that on its head and either a new law or a newly empowered Federal Trade Commission, FTC, which has a new chair who's much more aggressive about this, to start enforcing enforcing some of these ideas that, you know, th- that consumers are really being misled. So yeah. that's the kind of legislative government side of things, which I think would make a huge difference. But um, I write for the Washington Post. I am not naive that Congress has some difficulties getting things done and, and actually making making some changes. So I started talking to folks who've been studying this privacy policy issue in particular for years, computer scientists. And there are actually some really interesting ideas of how we could use technology to help protect our privacy rather than just invade it. For example, so right now we're in a situation where we've got all these privacy policies and they're all written by different lawyers for different companies, you know, who are poetic in their different ways and write flowery language to try to hide or obscure certain things. (laughs) What if we started writing privacy policies in a consistent manner and make it so consistent, in fact, that computers could read them? So... The idea is then you wouldn't have to read the privacy policy to know what they're up to. A computer would do it for you, and then the computer could be your agent or maybe call it your privacy butler. So, you know, you could say to your privacy butler, maybe it's Siri on your phone. Maybe it's uh, your web browser, something like Mozilla Firefox. You could, you know, it could interview you once and say, okay, how do you feel about targeted ads? How do you feel about, you know, your data being sold? And you set those preferences and then it would go on your behalf and interrogate each of these apps or websites for you to make sure that your will is being being, uh, kept to. And I think that's a great idea. Now, of course, it would require participation from a lot of companies um, and we'd have to figure out how to tag things. But, you know, we've already taken some steps in this direction. So first of all, financial information that's released by companies is now tagged uh, so that it's read by computers. That's how stock market traders are able to trade very quickly when companies put out their financial information. So companies already do this in one area. And then we're also already now seeing um, uh, technologies come along to help us do this with privacy. So uh, there's uh, California. We have one of the few privacy laws in America. And there's an effort underway to make something called the global privacy control. So one right we have as Californians is we can tell any company, do not sell 
our data. But the problem is it's really complicated to do that, and you have to go and do that one at a time for every single company. Yep. So there's an effort to build into browsers a button you could click that says, don't sell my data. Um, and then the browser would then send a signal to each website that you visit that says, oh, this is a California person who said, don't sell my data, and they'd have to comply. Now, this is mostly just in the idea phase right now. We still got to see if the state of California, when they enforce uh, their, our privacy law, whether they're going to give any teeth to it. But gosh, that would make a big difference and take a lot of the effort and, and labor off of us. I mean, I think if we take a big step back here, the problem is the whole system that's been set up with the giant tech economy is it puts the onus on us, the consumers, yeah. us, the patients, us, right. the, the parents to, to read this stuff, do all this stuff, do all this work. And that's just not fair. And it's just not working for us. Yeah, I mean, you just say straight up, we the users shouldn't be expected to read and consent to privacy policy. So what does that force if that is, in fact, the case? Uh, this listener, just to talk about what you mentioned about California, this listener writes, California has a law that forces companies to let me opt out of their marketing. But every time I visit a web page, I have to go through this long questionnaire about what and how I want to opt out. It's so annoying. And I feel like companies make it really difficult. So I just give up and let them market to me. The give up, I oh, feel, is such a common feeling. I don't know if you have other thoughts for what this listener is Oh, yeah. Mean. I mean, yeah. amen, listener. Amen, listener. Um, this this is the, the why I am pushing back. This is why I think we need, we the users need to establish our uh, establish what we want to change, and it needs to be heard by by Silicon Valley, by the companies whose employees are listening to us this morning, hopefully, um, and also by by Washington, which has really dropped the ball on a lot of this stuff. I mean, some of the laws even that we have are making things worse, not better. Um, you know, and we as consumers in America have been down this path before, right? We've you know we we've had problems with cars that were too dangerous because they didn't have seatbelts. We had cigarettes that were making children sick, and we've been able to push back before. It's time we do that for tech. We're talking with Jeffrey Fowler, tech columnist for the Washington Post. You, our listeners, are also sharing where technology is not working for you, your questions about the tech you use. And if you have any ideas to make it better, email us forum at kqed.org. Post your thoughts on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, or you can call us 866-733-6786. We'll have more after the break. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Here's what we're talking about Monday. Congressmember Adam Schiff joins us, member of the House Select Committee investigating January 6th. 
The last hearing highlighted the effort to convince then-Vice President Mike Pence to throw out the 2020 Electoral College results and stop the certification of Joe Biden as president. Are you continuing to follow the hearings? What impact is it having on you? You can email forum ahead of the show at kqed.org, forum at kqed.org, or leave a voicemail at 415-553-3300. This hour, we're talking with Washington Post tech columnist Jeffrey Fowler about the ways tech products and companies are failing us. And some of you are sharing your thoughts. Nancy writes, I work with a group that helps older adults with tech. A major problem is that most new tech assumes prior knowledge of older tech, plus an understanding of the multiple layers of tech. People avoid updating or getting new tech and stick with what they know. But then when they do upgrade, they're even less able to cope because they miss the intervening developments and probably security features. I'm thinking, listener, another listener writes, I have an iPhone and it asks me if I want an app to track or not track me whenever I download a new app. I like that. I'm not sure if it really works, but it gives me a sense of security. How well is that working or what thoughts do you have about what you just heard, Jeffrey? Um, Oh boy, do I wish I had better news for that listener. Um, So yes, uh, a year ago, Apple added with much fanfare a feature to the iPhone where um, where you can uh, press a button that says ask app not to track. But as you might suspect from the very careful language they're using in that button, all you're doing is asking the app not to track. <laughs> right. You are not <laughs> demanding so it. We the users demand the app not to track. So what happens is uh, when you press that, Apple stops the app from using one way to identify your phone, which is had become really common um, and uh, and was was allowing apps and and companies like. Facebook to track what you did across different apps. Uh, And so, yes, it does cut off that, but it does not cut off all of the other ways that apps are trying to to track you, um, including taking your location or your IP address and other kinds of identifiers, things that in the the technical world are known as fingerprinting your device. And so when I tested a whole bunch of apps uh, after pressing Ask App Not to Track, I was able to find lots and lots of them. Uh, were were still you know taking information from me in a way that could be used to identify me and to you know build profiles of me and and, mm-hmm. and the same applies to to kids as well and on this I think we really got to point the finger back at Apple I mean boy do they love um, advertising that they're good at privacy I mean you can't drive in the freeway here in the Bay Area without seeing a billboard from Apple saying iPhone that's privacy yet um, I'm here to hold them to account to to really do it and they've they've only they've only done half the job. You know, I'd like to ask you, you're reminding me about the piece that you wrote about when you posted photos of your baby on Instagram Mm -hmm. and how that was tracked. And also the negative experiences that that tracking created online, essentially uh, how they configured their algorithms to create such a negative experience for you. Can you describe what happened to you? Yeah. I mean, I think another big force that's in our lives that we don't have control over and we don't have any transparency about is the algorithms. That's the software that decides what information, what images, what what videos, what uh, what news articles, what posts from friends, what we actually get to see, um, and 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 I had an experience with this myself. So I'm a new dad, and when my 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 child was born, I decided to post a photo of him every day to a private Instagram account. This is a way to just stay in touch with you know family and friends who are sure. all over the place. And I made it a private account, and then uh, and so I was doing this, and then 
uh, when you use the Instagram app, when you open the homepage, um, it used to be, if you're an old school Instagram user, that you only saw photos from your friends. Um, but Instagram made a change a couple of years ago. So now it fills it with lots of suggested or recommended uh, images and posts from accounts and people you don't know. And what I started noticing over time was that that main feed and then also a, a feed next to it called Explore, where there's a little magnifying glass, was filled with images of children with rare and extreme um, uh, health challenges. And it was kind of a, a crescendo of it. The more that I used the app, the more that it would show me these, these, these shocking images of children. Um, and I felt like it was preying on my new dad um, uh, uh, sensibilities, you know, like any image of a child in some kind of challenge or distress really kind of got to me. And I wanted to figure out how on earth did Instagram take an account that is truly nothing other than the photos of the world's cutest baby and decide <laughs> to feed back fear um, yeah. to to the owner. And it, and it was just an amazing uh, uh, view of how how good these these algorithms are at identifying what is the most shocking thing and then giving you that because that is what they are they are trained to do and we've learned about the implications of that um, for lots of people in society so last fall we had the Facebook whistleblower Frances Haugen and she um, really you know showed the world that there was you know internal evidence at Facebook that the way that they're designing these algorithms is is causing all sorts of harms is you know dividing communities is causing more political polarization and is causing young people to have, you know, depression and body image kinds of problems. Because again, the whole thing is tuned to get you to spend the most amount of time on the app. And the way that you spend the most amount of time is when you're shocked or you're angry or you're in horror. So what I did with this, uh, when I noticed this problem on my son's account, I actually went to Frances Haugen, the Facebook whistleblower, and I showed her my phone. I was like, please explain to me, how did this happen? How did it decide to give me these images? And she told me that there's thousands of these signals that Facebook and Instagram are using to figure out how to order and, and, and decide what to feed us. But one of them that I think a lot of people don't know about is called dwell time. So it's the idea is you don't have to click on a picture. You don't have to follow an account. Literally just slowing down when you're doom scrolling over an image is a signal that they take in. And so... Apparently, when I was using this account, I would slow down over over images of uh, of, of children who were in some kind of challenging situation, sure. and they took yeah. that as a signal. In fact, I I dug into my Instagram account. There's a way if you're a super nerd, you can download your Instagram data, and I did this. And then they had a whole bunch of words that the that the artificial intelligence had used to describe my interests in this account. And believe it or not, one of the words they used was fear. So I had all I had been doing was posting photos of the world's cutest baby and Instagram gave me fear. Well, Daniel writes, corporations are intentionally targeting our personal data. It appears most social media exists primarily to gather our personal data and sell it to other corporations for targeted purposes, such as selling things, political persuasion, or famously like Cambridge Analytica slogan, we change people's behavior for whatever reason anyone is willing to pay to change it. Given the amount of money and power available to lobby against and legislation that might rein this in, please convince us that change is possible and show us how. Jacob writes, if our private data is worth money, the companies that ask our permission to use it should pay us for it. We won't get rich, but it will make companies consider 
what to ask. So, Jeff, when you're talking about dwell time, basically the incentive here is to sell to advertisers like, oh, look, this this we get people to stay on our site or something for like extended periods of time or is that just like barely scratching the surface <laughs> well, that's, that's a part of it the more time that you spend on these apps the more of your the, the, the larger slice of your day that they have the more ads they can sell you and it's really really short term thinking I mean you can sort of see how this happened at Instagram like somebody is is given the job of like we got to get people to stay on the app longer they're like okay people stay longer when they're engaged in some way when they slow down or when they start when they get into a fight with somebody or when they you know start doom scrolling so that pushed the sort of short term initiative but in the long term like they've ruined the experience for me right they took what i thought was going to be my son's happy baby photo album and made it kind of a parade of horrors for me yeah. and i'm like guys you are literally ruining your product you know and i started out as a yeah uh, uh, 10 years ago as a as a product reviewer i would review technology you know when there's a new iphone what's good and what's bad and 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 the, the set of questions that we need to ask to do that now are so different than they were 10 years ago. 10 years ago, it was, well, does it cost too much? How easy is it to use? Nowadays, first of all, most of this stuff is free. And second of all, it's so easy to use that like a two-year-old can use it. The, the things we need to ask now, is it evil? <laughs> you know, yeah. is it is it making us happier or sadder? Or is it making us uh, better, be- better members of a community or is it making us worse? And Silicon Valley seems particularly um, poorly equipped to to ask and, and handle those questions. Well, let me go to caller Alex in Richmond. Hi, Alex. Hi, how are you doing? I'm well. Go right ahead. Hi, Jeffrey. Thanks so much for um, talking about this. My questions around if you think that approaches like they have in the EU, the General Data Protection Regulation, or GDPR, um, if it'd be beneficial if the U.S. had a regulation like that and what the limitations of that regulation are. Mm, Thanks. Yeah, good question. So definitely uh, America needs a privacy law, and many people are looking to Europe's laws uh, for this as as a model. Um, there are some ways, though, that Europe's laws have gone con- kind of like off the rails and aren't really helping consumers either. And my, the, the, the example that I think so many listeners will know is, you know, that feeling if you go to a website now and before you can even look on the website, it pops up this thing that says, like, do you consent to all of these cookies or like if you if you say, no, not really, it brings you to this other screen where you got 12 things to click on, you know, and to figure out. And it's very confusing. That was caused by this European law. And it, it it's really still based on this notion that you can do whatever you want as long as you get people to consent first. And uh, and, and again, I, I still think that that's not quite quite right. That's not, you know, asking us to, you know, just before we can even see what's on that website, figure out like. You know, oh, do I agree to this use of my data on this site? I don't know. I know that now Europe's data laws do other things, some of which are great. Yes. Um, the other problem with it, though, is that enforcement, right? And so it's you know left up, you know, the the the, the regulators in Ireland, where all these big tech companies have their European headquarters, um, are up to do it. And so it hasn't really had the the impact I think that we want yet. But it still is certainly better than we've got in the U.S. Sure. I mean, we're trying to figure out so much at, at a speed that's hard to keep up with. Thanks, mm. Alex, for the question. Question. Let me go to Hari next in Fremont. Hi, Hari. Hi. Thank you for this topic. Uh, lots of comments in the conversation here. It's reflective of the cliches that, you know, 
if the product is free, you are the product. And the biggest lie on the internet is terms and conditions that you agree to. But uh, I want to focus my comments on things that we could potentially do. Uh, the guest was talking about the European law. They also have new things like age-appropriate design code in UK that's being proposed and companies are trying to follow. I think we definitely need an equivalent of that in US for sure. And the guest is absolutely right. Uh, GDPR was a dumpster on fire in terms of the way it was implemented. But I think what's happening is the tech industry has a big hold on how laws are shaped because they you know, optimize for revenue. But there are a couple of things that I believe we can do as a society. For folks in the Bay Area who work from these companies, push harder. If you're a product manager or a thought leadership in your company, ask for better privacy education through your apps. Be more open. Be very explicit. Uh, and to use the cliched Eli 5, explain like I'm 5. Maybe we need a version. We don't need 16-page documents that tell you what data is being collected. But you could just give four bullet points about, hey, your location is being shared. Your age yeah. is being shared so that people know what they're talking about. And for kids, I think we need education systems that actually tell them, uh, not to spook them, but educate them. You know, like you download a billion apps onto your iPad or your tablets or your phones, but be careful about, you know, what information you're sharing with this information. And that should be part of the education program, too. So there are multiple phases which yeah. we can do this. Well, so, yeah. Uh, appreciate you sharing those thoughts, Hari. I, I just want to quickly try to get one more call in, and then we can maybe have Jeff respond to a few of these. Um, Benjamin in San Leandro, go right ahead, Benjamin. Hey, thanks for taking my call. I, I just have a little bit different take on this. I tend to opt into a lot of tracking and things like that for my own personal benefit. I think one of the examples that I like is that I have very specific taste in music, and I find that the suggested posts and people to follow on Instagram are providing whole new content for me that I actually enjoy, whether it's events or record labels or whatnot. And also I let Google track me wherever I go. And I love Google photos and being able to go and see where I was or try and pull up a memory or something like that. Yeah. So I may be somewhat naive, but um, it's just a different take. Well, I don't think you're naive. I think, Jeff, that's what I'm curious about. Like, how do you keep the things you want and get rid of the things you don't? Uh, it's such a good point. And I, and I thank both of those listeners for those really insightful comments. Um, I should say, first of all, I am not anti-tech. I am super <laughs> pro-tech. But you know what? I've had these giant, you know, big tech companies tell me, Jeff, I, we don't think you like technology anymore. And it's like, no, I love it so much. I'm so invested in the future that I want it to be good. And they've let it become terrible. I want really cool features like like the ability to learn about new bands or artists or, you know, to find my old memories. But I don't want it to have to come at the cost um, of of things that, that, that I can't even think about in the moment or I won't even realize in the moment when it's happening. And I think we all got a really good wake-up call um, recently about the potential costs that you just don't think about in the moment when the when we had that leaked Roe versus Wade um, uh, decision from the Supreme Court. So we are now in a situation where it is very possible very soon that in many states, uh, seeking an abortion is going to be against the law. And when that happens, your phone and all of the data that it collects about you could be used as evidence of a crime. And there are so many ways that your phone... Uh, because you've opted into or allowed your data collection for all these other really cool and interesting 
purposes could now be used as evidence against you. Uh, a lot of people use period tracking apps, which have data about their body's uh, yeah. you know, reproductive cycle. It knows your location. It knows what you're searching. All of these things, you know, when companies collect them, the government can either send a court order to get access to it or just buy it themselves. So I guess the point here is that 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 data has a way of coming back <laughs> and being used in ways that we could never imagine in the moment. And so that's why we need either to extremely limit the amount of data or extremely limit the ways that they can be used um, so that uh, so that so that some of these negative consequences don't also happen. Yeah. So almost like clearing I mean, when you think about all the different things that we do, the ways that we want to shut certain things off, get certain things, and also make sure information isn't getting out there about us, like we constantly, or I do at least, clear my history mm-hmm. and cookies in a web browser. But mm-hmm. you're also talking about the power to clear algorithms. Even, yeah, right? I think this, and I think that metaphor you brought up is just is perfect here. So, um, you know, back to the story I was telling about my experience with Instagram and the experience lots of people have with Instagram taking you down dark rabbit holes that you don't like. One of the ideas I heard from Francis Haugen, the the Facebook whistleblower, was, hey, we should have the power to just reset the algorithm. Just say, you know what? I don't like the direction this is going. It doesn't feel healthy to me. Clear it out. Stop thinking of me this way. Let's build a new one together. Or even maybe let us choose different algorithms. You know, we can choose different apps for our phone. Why don't you let us shop for different algorithms? Maybe there's a newsfeed algorithm that is 100% Donald Trump free. Wouldn't that be a lovely algorithm to be able to choose? So your news was just anything other than politics, if that if that dri- tends to drive you crazy. Um, so we need uh, we need the we need these kind of abilities built into these products, and we don't have them now. Yeah, and that's really the point, right? Um, we're coming up on the end of the convo, but I'm really curious in terms of, you know, what's in the works for your series? You've asked people to identify for you, like what. What demands, like what kind of sort of bill of rights would they would they want around this? Let us know what you're working on now. Yeah, I've got a whole bunch of things. So we've been talking a lot about privacy and data and algorithms, but there's a lot of stuff that's happening with the hardware that we use as well. You know, it's all kind of designed to die after two or three years, and it doesn't need to be that way. So that's one thing I'm thinking about. Um, we also, we've gotten to a point where, you know, doing things like searching for information or going shopping is so littered with advertising that you can't tell what's a real thing and what's an ad anymore. And so these are other areas I'm kind of poking around. But I'd love to hear from readers about what you'd like to add to to, to, to my list. I promise to investigate and see what the best ideas are. Check out Jeffrey Fowler's series, The Washington Post, We the User. Jeffrey, thank you so much. You bet. And thank you listeners for sharing what you're going through and your thoughts as well on how to make tech work better. This is Forum. Stay with us for another segment. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.